So as I said, we, we will be talking about invitations um, as we approach Scripture this week. Um, as a session, as a church, we have been introducing our new mission statement that the session adopted in May, although we began working on it far before that, I think in February. Um, as we began looking at who we are as a church, uh, we realized that it had been quite a while since we had looked at the church's mission statement. And in fact, no one from the session could successfully articulate what it was. And there's nothing wrong with the mission statement that we have. Um, it said what it needed to. In fact, it, was, it had a lot of good theology and good points in it. But it did have a lot of good theology and good points. And so it had a lot of words. And it had a lot of um, complexities to it. And so it didn't provide a whole lot of clarity. Um, it was a little bit cumbersome. And so because it wasn't always on the tip of our tongues, first in our minds, it was easy to, to forget about it. It was easy to miss it. It was easy for our mission to get lost. And so as the session started to figure out what was next, we didn't abandon the old mission statement. We all affirmed it and said, yeah, this is good. But we wanted to clarify it. And so we set out to come up with a short, memorable statement that accurately describes what we want our legacy as a church to be. And so through a lot of work and discernment, and in the midst of that, the session was all surprisingly on the same page. Um, they were, we were all going in the, the same direction right from the beginning. And we ultimately, ultimately arrived at the statement that CCUPC exists to expand Christ's community through relationship, discipleship, and worship. And so we've, we've made a new logo, we've, we've adopted this as our mission statement, and we've been talking about it in worship for the last several weeks. We've, um, we've mostly been focusing on what it means to be in a relationship, in a relationship with the church, in a relationship with other churches around us, in a relationship with those outside of the church. And now we're moving to the second element of our mission statement, discipleship. And like the idea of relationship, there are so many elements of discipleship that could be lifted up. Even the word itself is a little bit strange to us. It's a, it's a churchy word, and we use it in different ways at different times. Sometimes it's a noun, sometimes it's a verb. But it's so critical to who we are as Christians. And so it's important for us to think about it more specifically. In order to help us understand a little bit better uh, about what discipleship is, Pastor James and I came across an acronym that we don't think you'll soon forget. Now, we didn't make it up, so we can't take credit for it, but we're using it the same. Disciples are called to be fatter. Now, <laughs> I know a lot of you are thinking, I do not need that in my life. No, thank you. Um, hear me out. We are contending that disciples are called to be fatter, F-A-T-R. And that stands for the idea that disciples are called to be faithful, available, teachable, and reproducing. And so we're going to spend the next several weeks fleshing all those out and talking about what those mean as they help us grow in our own spiritual journey and as they help us to expand the community. So this week, we're going to focus on the first of these aspects, faithful. And we're going to look at what faithful disciples should be. To help us do this, we're going to be reading together a passage from the beginning 
of the Gospel of John as the first disciples of Jesus are called. But before we approach Scripture, let's pray. Lord Jesus, your light shines within us. We hear your call to expand your community, and so we ask that you not let our doubts or our darkness or our distractions speak. Instead, let, us heart, let our hearts welcome your love and be open to your word through the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, this is John chapter 1, verses 35 through 51. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and they saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two that heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which, when translated, is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So as we come to this passage, John's gospel has already given us the theology on who Jesus is. He's the word of God, the light of the world, and life to all. We've also met John the Baptist, who testified concerning the one who made his dwelling among us. And here the focus shifts from John the Baptist to Jesus himself and to the ones who begin to follow him as his public ministry begins. In John's gospel, unlike all of the other gospels, we're not told a lot about these men who Jesus is calling. We don't have a lot of information about their families or their homes, and we're not told about their occupations like we are in other places in Scripture. All we know is that John the Baptist has been preaching and gathering disciples, and now he's releasing them to go and follow Jesus. The focus of this passage, then, is on how they respond. John was there with his disciples, Andrew and another 
unnamed disciple. Some say it's John, the beloved disciple, but scholars aren't sure, and it really doesn't matter. Because we know that when Jesus passed by, John the Baptist said to them, Behold, the Lamb of God. Now, we don't know exactly what it was about what John said. Was, was he in awe himself, or did he shout excitedly, or whisper reverently? Did he point? Did he indicate who he was talking about? Whatever it was, something about John the Baptist's words struck Andrew and the other disciples' heart. Something was different this time as Andrew and his friend realized that this is the one who John had been preparing the way for. And so with these words, Andrew and the other disciple began following Jesus. We don't know if there was any conversation between them. We don't know if one had to prompt the other or if they agreed immediately. We don't know if they asked John's permission or if they worried about what Jesus would think. All we know is that they they set out and began to follow Jesus. And so that's the first point I want to make, that faithful disciples follow Jesus. It's so very simple and so very complex all at the same time. It is so important to remember that faithful disciples follow Jesus. When Jesus noticed them following him, he said, What do you want? And they respond by saying, Where are you staying? Now, in my mind, as I read this passage, and of course, we don't have um, the the context, we don't have the audio files to hear how it all went down, but I imagine two awkward guys following just a little bit behind, kind of creeping along and staring at him and maybe whispering to one another, and then when they get caught by Jesus, they blurt out the very first thing that comes to their minds, "Uh, where are you staying? But Jesus isn't bothered by their awkwardness. He's not upset that they're trailing behind him. It doesn't surprise him. And so instead of rolling his eyes or telling them to buzz off and quit following him, Jesus issues the invitation that would change the whole course of their lives. He says to them, come and see. And there are two levels to this invitation. On its surface, this invitation was an offer to come and find an answer to their question. Where are you staying? Jesus invites them to take an intimate look at the the practicalities of his life, to come and have lunch with him and to spend the afternoon to see where he was sleeping. But the offer goes so much deeper than that. With this invitation to come and see, Jesus is offering an invitation to approach him through eyes of faith. Jesus is welcoming them to a journey where they'll begin to learn who he truly is and how he's going to change the world. This invitation is to something new and something different. Jesus invites them to follow in a way that brings them much closer than just companions sharing the same road. He's saying, come alongside of me, hear my stories, discover my life, stay with me, be my student. These words come and see were words of invitation into a deeper community. And it was an invitation into a life with Jesus, an opportunity to learn from this teacher, the Lamb of God, the light of the world, the Word of God made flesh and dwelling right there with them. In this case, though, it's unusual because normally in the first century and now, it's the student that applies to the teacher. It's it's us saying, pick me, pick me. You know, we, we apply to 
apprenticeships and mentorships. We build portfolios and put our best selves forward in an interview, hoping to earn a spot, hoping that we'll be good enough to be selected. But, but here it's Jesus reaching out and saying, come with me. It's the rabbi, the master teacher, who initiates the relationship and invites us and says, come and see. And as we know, Andrew and the other disciple accept. They faithfully respond to Jesus' invitation, first to spend the day with him and then to follow him throughout his ministry. We're not told about what they talked about in that afternoon that they spent together, but I can imagine it changed their lives if they were willing to leave everything and follow Jesus. This invitation of Jesus' of Jesus's was one of deep relationship. He says to them, come and see. The way it's used here, seeing is a form of, of knowing. And knowing is, isn't just understanding facts or trivia or being able to pass a quiz. It's not being able to just regurgitate information. But deep knowing involves understanding and intimacy. The Old Testament uses a form of the word knowing to describe the relationship between a husband and wife, a profound sharing and vulnerability, being so known by one another that two lives are merged into one. And Jesus is inviting Peter and Andrew and Philip and Nathaniel into that kind of intimacy here. He wasn't just asking them to walk down the street with him or to watch him from a distance or to be a fan, but he was inviting them to come alongside him and to see the things he was doing to abide with him and to witness the things of God, to spend time with him, to know him, and to be known by him. Jesus is inviting them to follow in the very deepest sense. And as we think about faithful discipleship, we're invited into that same kind of relationship, a deep intimacy with Jesus, intimacy that's found through the study of who Jesus was, the study of the scriptures. It's found through reading the stories that Jesus told and imagining the significance of what they might mean for us today. This intimacy is found through examining Jesus' teachings and his prayers and how he interacted with those around him. And it's also found by praying ourselves and being open to the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You know, last week, Pastor James reminded us that we have to have our identity in Christ before we can ever hope to have strong and godly relationships with one another. And this identity begins by faithfully following Christ. It should be one of the deepest desires of our hearts to be more and more like Jesus, to know him and to worship him and to grasp what his life and death and resurrection means for us. And we do that by devoting ourselves to the teaching and preaching of the community of faith and to study and prayer in our personal lives. But all of that is just the first step. This invitation that Jesus offers was both a request for a personal response to follow Jesus, but it was also a call to action. Faithful discipleship involves following Jesus, but it also means inviting others to follow too. Just like Jesus invited these men to come and see and be a part of his life, the disciples who he called in turn went out to call others to come along too. You know, after he spent time with Jesus, Andrew went as soon as he could 
to find his brother, Simon Peter, and tell him, we've found the Messiah. He went as quickly as he could to bring Simon to Jesus. And then we see the pattern repeated again. Jesus invites Philip to follow. And then Philip goes to Nathanael and makes the same invitation. Come and see. You know, the gospel invitation is going out. As people encounter Jesus, they're moved to invite others to follow. And friends, this should be our response as well. If we have a life-changing relationship with Jesus, why wouldn't we want to share that with others? You know, we tell others about the movies and television shows that we like. We give our recommendations for recipes and sunscreens and vacation spots and all sorts of other things. So when we meet and follow Jesus and have our lives changed, our most instinctive and natural move should be to tell our family and friends and the people with whom we live and work and study day in and day out. The gospel spreads through people telling the good news. And we see it start here in this passage. Like I said, Andrew went to Simon Peter and Philip went to Nathaniel. Later we see the Samaritan woman, the Samaritan woman who bears witness to her fellow villagers about what Jesus told her, and, and she brings them to faith. And then again, we see it at the empty tomb when Mary Magdalene is the first witness to the resurrection and then runs to proclaim the Easter message to the other disciples and anyone who will listen. Faithful discipleship involves discipling others, telling others about Jesus and inviting them to come and see who he is and what he's done. Faithfully following Jesus requires us to share good news and to help others to grow in their relationship to Jesus, just as we're growing in ours. But you know, this is where a lot of us get hung up. Sharing our faith isn't always comfortable. We worry that we have to get everything just right. We worry that we'll mess something up or there'll be questions that we can't answer. We worry that we're putting our own lives under a microscope and then by sharing our faith, we'll reveal our own weak spots, and the places where we're not yet entirely who Jesus called us to be. It's humbling, and it's vulnerable, and it's hard. And I say that even as a minister of word and sacrament. It's literally my job, and it's still super hard. And yet, it's what's required of us. It's what's asked of us. Faithful discipleship requires us to pass on the invitation to know Jesus. So I think as we think about the discomfort that this might bring to us, it's important to look at the rest of this passage and to see uh, what we might lift out of it. Um, There are a few things in this passage that we need to notice as we prepare to share the gospel with others. First, we notice that that, that our only job is to introduce others to Jesus. To be faithful, we only have to to offer the invitation to come and see. And then it's up to the Holy Spirit to do the rest. Andrew and Philip certainly shared all that they had experienced at Jesus' side, but it wasn't their job to convert convert Peter and and Nathaniel. Andrew and Philip issued the invitation, but Peter and Nathaniel didn't know the truth about Jesus until they encountered him on their own, until they had their own personal experience with Jesus. And the same is true of the people we tell about Jesus. A life of faithful discipleship is about coming yourself and forming a relationship 
with Jesus personally, with you following Jesus. And so it's up to us to just issue that invitation to see Jesus, to know who he is. It's not our job to make other people follow. It's not our job to convince or coerce anyone to have faith in Christ. You know, we can notice that when Jesus offered the invitation to come and see, he didn't go overboard trying to persuade Andrew and Philip to follow. He didn't beg and plead and offer incentives. He simply issued the invitation, and it was up to them to take it. Jesus didn't offer a come or else kind of threat. He wasn't trying to guilt or shame or frighten anyone into relationship with him. And we shouldn't either. But on the other hand, Jesus' invitation wasn't a, well, if you don't have anything better to do, come on with me. There was a real and compelling invitation. And in Andrew's invitation to Peter, there was a sense of urgency, but it wasn't forceful. It wasn't manipulative or misleading. These invitations were real and deep and natural. The invitation to Andrew and Philip and then later to Peter and Nathaniel accepted that these accepted these new followers as they were and accepted them even with their hesitancies and their challenges. And friends, we can do the same thing. As we share our faith with others, it's okay if there are questions and it's okay if there's places where proclaiming our faith is hard. It's okay if we don't have all the answers. We notice that Philip wasn't pushy with the somewhat skeptical Nathaniel when he asks, what good can come out of Nazareth? He's not put off by Nathaniel's sarcasm. He's not put, up by his, put off by his snotty remark. And he didn't react by shaming, and he didn't go to great lengths to try and justify that good things actually can come from Nazareth. He just answers, come and see. And so if Philip could do it, so can we. We can accept the questions and the apprehensions of others. We can continue to point to Jesus. Even amidst reluctance and doubts, we can still invite people into close, honest investigation of facts and the truths of Scripture. You know, faithfully sharing our faith, faithfully discipling others, doesn't mean having all the answers. It means saying, let's look together, let's study together, let's read the different accounts together. It means saying, I have that question too, and I'm still working it out. And I actually may never fully understand it, but I'm trying. Philip accepted Nathaniel with all of his questions and pointed him to Jesus. He said, come and see. Where Philip's knowledge and ability failed, he pointed to Jesus, and he said, come and see. When we get caught in the trap of thinking that it's solely on us to somehow convince others of the goodness of a life of faith or to answer every question or to respond to every challenge, then we lose sight of Jesus. Thinking that it's all up to us can lead to pride, thinking, look how great we are converting all these people, or it can lead to us completely shutting down and thinking, I don't possibly know enough. I have so many questions and struggles on my own. I can't possibly, I have no business telling other people about faith. But when we have these ideas in our minds, and it becomes about us and not about what God is doing in our lives through the Holy Spirit. I think another thing we can notice from this passage is that we don't have to hurry. As Jesus offered the invitation to come and see, he didn't instantly unload the whole plan of salvation as soon as the new, new disciples said yes. You know, Jesus was, was 
the God of all creation. So he could have said, I'm the Messiah, and here's exactly about what's going to go, here's exactly what's going to go down, are you in or not? He could have, you know, unleashed the full authority that belonged to him as Lord of all creation. But he didn't. He was patient, and he let the disciples share in his life, and he let the truths of what was to come and what he was doing unroll slowly as the disciples were ready and able to hear it. And again, we see Jesus' abundant patience throughout his ministry as he waited for the disciples to catch on to all that he was telling them. There was something about Jesus that drew other people in and that attracted people to him, and it made others want to accept his invitation to come and see. There was something about Jesus that was patient enough to let people accept his invitation, but also come as they were ready and to learn as they went, stumbling forward and backward and all around as they began to know and understand Jesus' teaching. And that's what faithfully inviting others into a life of discipleship looks like for us, too. It looks like being patient. It looks like letting people come on their own terms. It looks like living a life that attracts others and that shows who Christ is and grows to be more like him all the time. It looks like us sharing the difference that faith has made in our lives. It looks like us pointing to Christ when all of our own efforts aren't enough. Sharing our faith with others and inviting others to follow looks like owning our own questions and doubts and sticky places. It looks like us being patient and not rushing to try and get someone to believe. The task of the faithful disciple is to say, come and see and then to show the way that Jesus makes a difference in our lives. And of course, we can only do that if we're growing too, if we're following too. And so these things go hand in hand, following Jesus and inviting others to come along with us. It's this kind of humble sharing that keeps us connected to one another and to the God who created us. If we're convinced that the Christian faith holds the truth about human life, then it's up to us to earnestly show people how that truth makes sense and how it's embodied in what we live and experience, both as individuals and as a community of faith. People become Christians because they've seen what the Christian faith has done for those they know and because they see the assurance and love and grace and peace growing in the lives of those who believe. And they say, I want that. You know, certainly faithful Discipleship is about proclaiming good news, but it's also about living a life that overflows with the same good news that we proclaim with our words. Pastor James and I mentioned in the podcast this week, but I think it's worth mentioning again, that people are watching the way we live our lives, our children, our spouses, our co-workers, our families, the people with whom we work and socialize are noticing how we deal with with the things that life gives to us. They're noticing how we celebrate. They're noticing how we deal with struggle and suffering, how we approach difficult decisions, or how we respond to our own mistakes and missteps and the mistakes and missteps of others. People are noticing how we treat one another and how we conduct ourselves. And by faithfully following Christ in our lives, if we're growing, if we're patterning our lives, after Christ, then others are going to come to understand 
who he is by watching us. You know, we spend far more time in our homes and socializing and in our jobs and in our schools than we do here in the church. And so all these other places are places where we can and should introduce Jesus to others with our words, with our actions, and with our attitudes and our lives. Our lives should be an invitation to come and see and follow. You know, certainly Christ's community is expanded through the preaching and teaching and work of the church. I wouldn't be up here if I didn't believe that. But Christ's community grows and expands even more as we follow in our day-to-day lives. Faithful discipleship of others is finding family and friends and the people we know best and the people we're closest to in, in natural, patient, and unforced ways, bringing them along to come and see who Jesus is. You know, Pastor James mentioned last week that the church is only one generation away from extinction. You know, if one generation fails to faithfully disciple the next, if they fail to invite them to follow Jesus, then the whole thing could come toppling down, except, of course, from the preservation of the Holy Spirit. But it's our job to invite others to follow. Faithful discipleship means following Jesus and leading others to follow. And it, as I started out by saying, it's so simple and so hard all at the same time. But this is the way that Christ's community expands. Jesus is calling us to come and see. And Jesus is calling us to invite others to come and see too. And so as we explore this week and in the weeks to come what it means to be a disciple, what it means for us individually to be disciples and discipling others, and what it means for us as a church. I invite you to invite others, to tell them to come and see who Jesus is. Come and see the difference Jesus has made in my life. That's how the community of Christ expands. With that in mind, let's turn in prayer and ask God to bless our efforts and to give us courage and encouragement for the tasks ahead. Let's pray.